0: Good morning Redemption Church. Thanks for joining us this morning after Christmas. Uh, we are going to be a smaller congregation this morning and we ask that you would sing loud and, and worship our great God with us. Uh, thanks for joining us and we're, we're glad to have you here so uh, please stand and worship with us this morning.
1: of our God and King, lift up your voice and let us sing, Oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Thou burning sun with golden bless and worship him in humbleness oh praise him hallelujah praise praise the father praise the son
2: And have a seat. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson, and uh, this is always the case, but especially this morning, um, we would encourage and invite you to uh, to move up and in if you uh, if you want, if you feel distanced. Um, also, we have we have some coffee out there and donuts. We w- wanted to go out of our way to make this a more intimate, um, more intimate time to. and and on that note, I want to just kind of explain some things that we're going to do this morning that'll be a bit different. Uh, As I said earlier, my name's Dave, and um, I want to let you know that I have a stutter, and so that kind of comes in and out as I I talk and as I preach, and I always want to make sure that people know what that is, and and kind of on that theme, I want to explain some of what we do week in and week out, and and I also want to say hello and good morning and Merry Christmas, Merry Day After Christmas, someone earlier said Merry Un-Christmas, I don't think that's the phrase, right, but maybe, either way, uh, we're glad to be together here in person and online, I want to let you know that we will um, be transitioning to not having a, 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 what's the term for it, a live stream, there it is what do the young people say these days, live stream on the interweb. No, we won't We we won't have a, a live stream. It's just been difficult to, to do, but we want to let you know, again, online that we are working on it, and we're trying to figure out the best way to make it available, so um, at least by noon every Sunday, it will be up. So, church, what we're doing this morning is we're going to walk through what we do week in and week out in our our worship services. This occurred to me, we were talking as pastors, that one time I was in my 20s, I had already been involved with church um, in different contexts for a long time, and the church that we went to in college, I was there with my wife and some other friends, and I had been going to that church for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden, kind of improvised, unplanned, the church started singing to me it felt a little bit like a chant they sang what I now know is called the doxology and I was like and my now wife girlfriend just started singing this song and I was like and they weren't up on the screens and then everyone joins in and there's this like you know it's this kind of angelic noise and I just felt completely lost it's like what I don't know these words. I've never heard this song before. I don't know what's going on. And again, that was after having been a part of church community and worship services for a long time. Well, the word liturgy, specifically in a Christian context, is what God's people do when they gather together to worship him. And we are formed by intentional observing of how we worship God when we gather together corporately. That means kind of broadly or as a community, when we come together. So again, what we're going to do throughout this service is kind of like a tour guide through our liturgy. So this part I'm doing right now is kind of a unique part because it's not something that we normally do, but I'm setting us up. So what we just did is referred to as the call to worship. Week in and week out, what we do is we start our service with an invitation. An invitation, the people weeding worship are inviting us as a congregation before God as God invites us into his presence to be shaped and blessed by him. And so there's a song of invitation that we call a call to worship. And then the next part in our service, in a moment, Pastor Marcus is going to come up. And he's going to lead us through what is called the people's prayer or the pastoral prayer. Which is a time where we pray. We pray on behalf of others. We pray for others. We pray for ourselves, for our own hearts. And it orients us, again, before God, in God's presence, on behalf of the people. It's like the, the priestly prayer or the prayer prayer of the people. So to that end, let me invite up Pastor Marcus to lead us through the pastoral prayer. Good morning. Morning.
3: And welcome to Redemption Tucson. I will lead us, as Dave said, in the pastoral prayer, if you would stand with me. Would you bow your heads? Gracious Lord, it is by faith that we are saved through grace. Before we did anything right, uh, before we did anything wrong, we are Loved by you. You, God, are the author and the creator of all life. We acknowledge your holy presence this morning in our gathering. We want to thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace upon our lives. Thank you for your holy presence. Thank you for being a just and merciful God. Lord, this morning, we come to you realizing that some of us are in a great season of celebration, of remembrance, of anticipation, of joy, hope, and peace. We also remember and know that while some are rejoicing, there are some of us who are reeling, who are anxious who are going through a season of depression, a season of mourning. We pray that you will meet us where we are. Lord, we thank you for meeting us with your gracious presence. We realize that some of us are facing some diagnoses or no family members or friends who are going through a tough season with their health. We pray your healing hand, oh God. We pray... And as for your patience with us, O Lord, some of us are burdened by what we see in our city, our state, our country, and our world. Heavenly Father, we specifically pray for the season that we are in with the pandemic, which seems that there is a mystery and there is uh, no end. But God, would you come and be present in your divine way to help us through this season? We grieve those we have lost in this year. We grieve those who have fallen away from the faith. We pray that you will remind them of your sweet love. Would you comfort us? We give thanks to those, for those, who serve our country, our city, in self-sacrificing ways, our police officers, firefighters, first responders, nurses, and doctors. Would you bless their families, oh God? We pray for those who serve us in our grocery stores, restaurants, and in the servant, uh, service industry. Would you care for them, O oh Lord? We pray also for our political decision makers, that their decisions will be informed by the love of God and the promotion of human flourishing for all. Lord, we pray for those that we have not mentioned specifically in this prayer. And Lord, as we move forward in our service, I want to allow a few moments for us all to pray in our hearts. Maybe let the words just whisper out of our lips for someone who is not here. A family member, a friend, perhaps someone asked you this week to pray for them. Would you do that? Now. Thank you, Lord. And the church said, Amen.
2: Uh, and now now, church, again, as we do every week, we move into a time of confession of sin and assurance of grace. And even when we stand, when we sit has intentionality. And um, actually, Jake, one of our pastors here, I feel like since you shared this this morning, I can use you as an example. He said that uh, one of his professors shared that the significance, it can be helpful having children in this service. And while we have a great Redemption Kids ministry normally um, these next couple of weeks, and we, we haven't had that, and it's a blessing. We're reminded of, of of life and of youthfulness and of what it means to be a family of God gathered together. And Jake shared that specifically his professor shared that as we hear children struggling and sometimes crying, right? And while as parents feel anxious sometimes and like, oh no, everyone's looking at me or that it can actually be a reminder for us of, of our, our, our um, infancy before God and of our own thrashing and, and, and crying about and flailing outside of Jesus's intervention and his help that that, that, that is all of our state. Um, even if we keep it hidden a little bit better as we get older, And so on that note, um, thank you for that image, the illustration. And uh, I also now want to explain why we do this week in and week out. It's because throughout the week, we wander away. We are prone to wander, right, as the great hymn says, that God calls us into his presence to flourish and thrive in submission to him. But as Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us to his own way. We have wandered away from God. And so confession and repentance is acknowledging different ways individually and corporately that we have wandered away from God. And so as we sit, we come humbly with contrite spirits before God acknowledging our sin. And then Peter and Ashley will lead us through the time where they will call us to stand As a symbol of our resurrected identity, fully forgiven, fully restored, fully accepted by God. And so now Peter and Ashley will lead us through the time of confession and assurance of grace.
0: As we just celebrated Christmas, we remember one of the many reasons Jesus came was because uh, we are sinful and need saving we're told that there is none who do good. No, not one. First John tells us that if we say we are good and don't have sin, then we're lying. So take this time to confess individual, corporate, and, and generational sin that we see uh, biblical precedents for confessing. So take this time and, and, and confess to our, our good and caring Father.
4: Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ understands where we are, and he intercedes for Draw near to his throne of grace and worship with us. Stand in this risen identity as we continue our time of worship.
0: Your grace is born, the grace is found is where
1: you are and where you are.
3: Good morning again, and welcome officially to Redemption Tucson. My name is Marcus Doe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. Uh, we are one congregation. Ten churches and one congregation. My brain is so... <laughs> one church, ten congregations all over the state of Arizona. Um, if you would like to know more about the church, uh, we do have... An app that you can, you can download on your phone, and also you can fill out a connect card, which are just located in the boxes by the doors in there. Uh, you can fill out and request a phone call or a meeting with a pastor. We'll be glad to arrange some way of getting in contact with you. You can find out more about the church on the app. Um, announcements go out that way. Uh, things that are happening around in our church community uh, happen in that way. I don't have too many announcements, actually the only one I have is, now that I think about it, uh, January 5th, if you're interested in serving our city and uh, helping refugees who are being resettled in our city, we are having the Refugee 201 class on Wednesday night, January 5th, to help you get acquainted, get trained, understand how to interact with refugees when they arrive in this country. That's Wednesday night, uh, January 5th at the Vineyard, 633 North 2nd Street. You can see me after service if you would like to find out more about that. As we move forward in our service now, this is the point in the service where we, I, we do read from the Scriptures, from the Bible. And the pastor comes and preaches what we call a sermon. So the Scripture reading is, th- the Bible is what we are based on or out of. All that we do can be traced back to the Bible. The Bible was written over many centuries by many different people, but it tells one story throughout uh, redemptive history through God's eyes. It's the words that God has spoken to us in written form, given to specific people in context, in time. So when we read it, we stand as an act of reverence to honor The words that have been passed on for thousands of years. The words of the Bible are capable of changing human lives. And they have changed human lives over centuries. If you're anticipating or wanting a life change, that's one of the places to start. This tradition of standing while we read scripture comes from the the Old Testament book of Nehemiah chapter 8. When the Israelites had made their way out of exile and they had forgotten the scriptures, the Bible says they stood all day, men, women, and children who could, as the scriptures were read and they were reminded of God's love for them as a people. The Bible also says in 2 Timothy 3 that all scripture, the Bible, is God-breathed. God-breathed put into action these words that we read each week. So we will stand and read the scripture when there is time. Christina will come up and we will read. And the pastor, Dave, will come up and preach what we call a sermon. A sermon, the Bible says faith comes through hearing, right? And hearing comes from the word of God. So when, when the pastor preaches, he is not here's what he's not doing right? It's not a motivational speech for you to do better. It is not a persuasive discourse. Um, most pastors are not skilled orators in moving your your mind or your heart. The the, the the exposition, it is called, of the scriptures is done so that your mind, heart, and your core, what the Bible calls your splechnine in Greek, is moved. So not just, it's not a speech for just your head or for your heart, or for your core. It is for all, and it moves us into action, and it drives us to understand and see Jesus Christ clearly. It is a reminder each week for us to point to Jesus Christ with our lives. Amen? To understand how God works, how he moves, and how we relate to him. It also, the sermon, demands a response, right? When the word of God is preached, you hear it, and you must respond. So Dave is going to, Christina first is going to come up and read scripture, and as she comes, we are going to stand in reverence of God's word.
5: Today's scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated.
2: Thank you, Christina. Uh, another little piece of church history is often um, the, the congregation would respond. We would say, um, thanks be to God in response to hearing his, his good news. His word read. And so um, as we do every week, I'm going to invite you to turn to God's word um, with me that I'll be preaching out of. Again, today we will be in Colossians chapter 1. And if you have a Bible with you uh, or if you have an app that you use, we invite you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, will you hold your hand up and, and keep it up so we can get you one? Okay, we want to make sure that you have a copy of God's word. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. And so what I just did there, uh, I'll explain as well, right? we, We offer to give a Bible. If you have a Bible and you just forget it, um, that's okay, right? We want to provide one. We want you to see that this is God speaking to us. Is this, as Pastor Marcus said earlier, is not a motivational speech. is not just our wisdom that, that we are, are speaking out of God's word and we believe that that through the Spirit, He transforms our hearts and opens our eyes and, and illuminates God's character and what it means to be His people. And so we want that to be clear. Also, if... People don't have a Bible and maybe never have. Uh, we want to make sure everyone can have a Bible to call their own, to make their own, to, 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 uh, to put their name in and to read through. So then why do I like share that one little phrase in Spanish? Right, why do we do that? It started fairly early on as a church plant that as we were doing some demographic sc- studies, it became clear that Tucson is about 50% Latinx, um, about 50% of, of our c- city uh, comes from a, a, a Latino background. And while many people who come to our congregation, the vast majority speak English, even if they're from a Le Latino background, would, um, w- would understand English that early on again through conversation, well we learned that we want to go out of our way to make it clear that we are aware of who makes up our broader community. And that our prayer is, is that at one point we would be a bilingual congregation, that we would, we would plant bilingual uh, churches and be a part of God's ministry in that way. And we are humbled and honored and, and, and pr- privileged to serve, serve alongside churches who have been um, planting and communicating the gospel in English and in Spanish and in many other lo- languages throughout Tucson for many, many years. Um, specifically in, uh, as we meet in a school right here in downtown Tucson that's over 100 years old. So there's some, some background to that. Now, will you go ahead and join me? As we've talked about, we understand this is God's word that we're entering into, and it's an incredible privilege this morning and every morning to communicate God's word through foolishness, through sc- sc- stuttering, through sinful people, God chooses to let his strength, his power, his glory be known uh, through us broken people. So with that, let's come humbly and expectantly before God and his word. Again, Father, we, we recognize that what we're doing has eternal consequence. That this is significant. That as, again, Pastor Marcus said earlier, Lord, you're all about changed lives. So I pray that in these brief moments we have together, I pray that you will speak to us. Lord, I pray that you will miraculously open our hearts. Lord, those of us who have grown hardened, will you soften us? Whose vision has grown blurry, will you give us clarity? And again, by your Holy Spirit, will you lead us to respond faithfully as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor and author Timothy Keller and his wife, Kathy Keller, wrote an incredible little booklet about Proverbs. And this is what they say. This is my assumption. Every week when we come into this time, we assume we're all coming from someplace. And this is one thing that we all share right here. Our culture tells us to submit everything to our understanding. To question everything... Including the Bible. But everyone must choose something to not question. Modern people don't question their right and ability to question everything. So everyone is living by faith in some ultimate authority. Okay, whether it's yourself, for most of us that's the case. Proverbs tells us to make it God's word. Not our reason and intuition. What I'm assuming, what is referred to often as the fallen condition, what we bring to the table as people who have rebelled against God, who have wandered, wandered away from him, is we are prone to insert ourselves as the authority. And even often when we come toward the Bible, we say, all right, prove it. Prove yourself to me, God. I'll be the judge, I'll be the jury. And what? author and pastor Timothy Keller and Kathy Keller say there, is that God's invitation, his call, is that he and his word would be our authority. And so another way of saying that is, what story are you living out of? What story are you and I pressing into? Again, the assumption coming before this is that all of us are a part of a story, right? Some of us might think, oh, no, I don't, I'm, I'm more intellectual. I mean, no, it's we are all living into some story, whatever it might be, whether it's consumerism, nationalism, comfort, authority, uh, religious, legalism, right? Whatever it might be, we're all living into some story. And 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 the the understanding that we have week in and week out is that the Bible is one story from beginning to end. And so what we're going to launching out of Colossians, we see the six acts of the story, the story of God. Michael Goheen describes it again and breaks it down into different acts like acts of a play. And the six acts of scripture are Creation, what's been referred to as the fall or maybe more accurately, rebellion. Promise, redemption, the church, and restoration. So every week when we open God's word, we're entering into the story in some way. And the author and the hero of the story is Jesus. So wherever we find ourselves in scripture, we are coming before the message, the good news of Jesus. And throughout our service, we're actually walking through different, the different acts of the story as well. So with that, now turn to Colossians chapter 1 with me as we look at the first act of the story, creation. In verse 15, he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. How many things? All things. I love that Christina emphasized that as she read the scripture. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, right? Or offices or presidents. Or senates, or kings, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in in him all things hold together. The first act of the story is God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. John chapter 1 tells us Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is written in Hebrew poetry and it paints the picture of a sovereign, authoritative, creative, purposeful God who said, let there be and there was. None of us in this room has that kind of authority and power. In the beginning God. And then the language is used there in Colossians, as in Genesis, of image. God said, let us make mankind in our image. You and every other human who has ever walked the face of this earth has eternal value as an image bearer of God. Imago Dei. God said, bear my image, that's your identity, and carry out my works. Cultivate. Do everything, your work, your hobbies, every relationship before my face. Go multiply. Go cultivate. Go and create as my under-creators. But act two, the fall. Genesis chapter three captures this as one theologian Uh, Christopher Wright explains, nobody fell, nobody tripped, nobody stumbled. We rebelled. We turned away from God and said, I want to be God. Individually and corporately, we want it our way. This tragic, terrible image is painted where relationship that was meant to be pure and good was broken. Individually, between You and me and every other human individually and God. Brokenness, shame, mistrust, fear, and between each other. Sin, very simply put, sin is the world the way it's not supposed to be. Brokenness. An image and illustration that makes sense to me is like a bad smell. Right, how many of you have played a sport and then years later you went back into a locker room and you smell and you said, oh, it, there's no way it used to smell like this? Right? Or I remember I lived with uh, five other guys in college and my now wife would come over from time to time, not very often, and then I began to learn why. She'd, and they would just be like, this place doesn't smell right. Or I lived in Arkansas for a number of years, and I would play sports in different towns. In Arkansas, a lot of our towns were spread out very far, so we would take the bus to a different town. And I remember showing up at a town or even driving into the town and being like, what is that smell? They're trying to poison us. We can't run or play, right, whatever. We can't compete. In this town, it's awful, but you'd see other people. You'd look out the windows, and nobody seemed to even notice. They weren't wearing masks. Nobody wore masks back then, right? But no one wore masks. It was just like nobody even recognizes how terrible the smell is because you grow used to it. Sin is like that. We've grown so used to it. But it's right for us to look at the brokenness in the world and say, that's not the way it's supposed to be physical, relational, societal brokenness. It's not the way it should be. But if left to ourselves, we would be stuck. But God, because it's his story, because he's the author of the story, because he's the creator, because he's the hero of the story, he says that's not the end of the story. So almost two-thirds of our Bible is God's promise, is God saying, that, that's not the way it's always going to be. As though we have rebelled in Colossians, chapter uh, again, chapter 1 and verse 21, says you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Ephesians chapter 2 says that you and I are by nature children of wrath. We are dead because of our sin. We are spiritually dead relationally dead, but God. In Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise and said, it won't always be this way. I'm going to establish one name who's going to bless all the families of the earth. And so again, about two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, is God's promise. And there's anticipation, right? Christmas, what we just celebrated, is is remembering that for thousands of years, God's people were wondering, when's God going to make right on his promise? And then, act four, the climax of the story, redemption. It's a good name, right? Good name for a church. In verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He who is the beginning Is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's Emmanuel, God with us, God among us, God who took on flesh and came into our mess, into our broken story, into the world the way it's not supposed to be, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth. Or in heaven, making peace, shalom, setting things right by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. As I mentioned earlier, Ephesians chapter 2 says that you and I are by nature children of wrath. We are enemies of God, Romans tells us. We hate God, but God, in his love, has made us alive through faith in Jesus Christ. It says, in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach. Th- that image of present, right, present, is like a master craftsperson who's worked hard, right? If you watch, like, I don't know, the British baking show or <laughs> whatever it is, right? Or Move That Bus, whatever show that is. Or you could fill in the blank, right? There are all these HGTV shows and these different things. The idea of, or maybe parents in here who work hard to present Christmas morning, right? Or you have a loved one or you present a gift or stop behind it. Well, Jesus' plan, his commitment is to come, to fix, to heal, to reconcile, to restore, to forgive, and then to one day present individually and corporately his people. And the promise is that he who came and began a good work in you, in us, will see it through to the end. He will present us to the Father one day. And so Jesus came, he lived, he died on a cross. Right? That's why we have this cross. We understand that Jesus took on our shame, took on our brokenness, took on our pain, took on our fears, even took on death. And then he victoriously rose from the dead to say, all those things are real, Re- he doesn't dismiss him, right? He he's does, hasn't taken a part of that bad aspect of church culture that many of us have. Oh, turn a blind eye to it, just slap on a smile, pretend it's not there. No, Jesus bore it in front of the world. He hung naked. He took on shame. He took on sadness. He cried out in anguish. He took on death, but then he put it to an end, and he rose from the dead. Historically, that's called the Christ event. And then he ascended. He left the earth and went to be with the Father and all his disciples are sitting there like, Jesus, why are you leaving? Jesus said, I'll be back. Right? Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He said, I'll be back. But in the meantime, you're my plan A. If you know anything about the disciples, that seemed like a pretty bad plan. But if You know anything about us? It continues to seem like a pretty bad plan. But God's plan is that his beauty, his glory, his wisdom, his strength would be revealed through broken people, sinners who are clinging to his grace, his undeserved favor, and empowered by his spirit. His plan A, that's Act 5, is the church. Right, so we have creation, rebellion, the promise, redemption. Right, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then the church, the last 2,000 years and where we are right now, we're in Act 5. Where Jesus said, I will send my Holy Spirit to fill you. And you individually and corporately, you will be my witnesses. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the author Paul says, you're ambassadors. You are now a reconciled people. You were unreconciled. You were enemies, but God, some of the best words in the Bible, but God has reconciled you. And now you are spokespeople of this gospel, proclaimers, ambassadors of reconciliation. And then Acts 6, the end of the story, is restoration. If you were here for our Christmas Eve service, Abigail Wilhelm very theatrically, intentionally read the good news of what we look forward to. As was talked about earlier, Christmas time for many of us feels broken. It's a reminder of the world that's not supposed to be. On Christmas Eve, I was pretty down because I remembered my older brother, who has now since died, was here with me Christmas Eve 2019. My other brother, who I talked to for the first time in four months, was here with me. My mom, who has severe Alzheimer, was here with me. So Christmas Eve was kind of a downer. It's not just a time to slap on a smile, but it's also a time for the Christian to remember that's not the end of the story. That Revelation chapter 7 says that God through Jesus, is compiling a whole group of people from every language, from every nation, from all over the world, that countries that we are prone to think are the enemies, are at war, that that, that people from every nation are, are, are God's people, that he has called to himself and reconciled to himself and to each other through Jesus, one people, one church, and then that Revelation chapter 20 says, your tears, I see them, they matter, but they don't tell the end of the story. In the end of the story, Jesus, who loves you so much that he died for you, for all of you, will wipe away those tears. And weeping will be replaced with rejoicing. That's the story. That's the story. In closing... Tom Wright says this, the question is not whether the whole of our lives will be shaped by some grand story. The only question is which grand story will shape our lives. Again, consumerism, nationalism, power, success, marriage, kids, physical, I don't know, what's the word? I just ate like 10,000 calories yesterday, so I'm choosing to not remember, I don't know, Physical strength, beauty, whatever. I don't, I don't really care about those, right? But the power, approval, which story? There is some story. For the one who has heard Jesus' call to follow him, the call comes with a summons to enter the story of which he was the climactic moment. The story of which he is the author. The story of which he is the hero. So church, right now, as we do every week, we tell the story, the story of God, where Jesus is the main character, and there's an invitation. Again, every week we do that. This week, to the non-Christian, what other story have you thought would bring you life, but never fails to fail? lovingly and fervently through God's spirit, we plea for those who don't know Jesus to surrender to him, to put their faith in him and to enter into his beautiful story, the true story. And every week for those who are Christians throughout the six days We have all wandered, we have all believed, we've all been tempted to live into some other story. And so the invitation is to respond to Jesus. So as I pray, um, Kira will come up and will lead us through a time of response. Because as was said earlier, we respond. All throughout scripture, the picture, the message is that God is the initiator. And we respond to him. He woos us, He draws us, he opens our eyes, he softens our hearts, and he calls us to himself. And so we, individually and corporately, respond. So let's pray together and prepare to respond. Again, Father: Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the call respond to you thank you for the call to be your people thank you for not leaving us in brokenness for not leaving your world the way it shouldn't be but thank you jesus for coming in for swooping in for fixing what we messed up lord now individually in our lives in this room those of us who are living In some cases, the result of a mess that we have made. In many cases, the result of a mess that others have made. Lord Jesus, will you come? Will you heal? Will you restore? And by your spirit, will you lead us to respond in faith to your gospel, your good news, in your name, Jesus. Amen.
4: And now we do get to respond in four um, distinct ways here at Redemption. And the first is through worship. Um, We know that God listens to our praises and our voices. And so as um, Peter and Ashley make their way up, um, we can just be preparing our hearts to sing to him um, how great and glorious he is. Another way we respond is through prayer. Um, Prayer is our way of communicating with God. We heard very clearly that God communicates us through his word. And we get to come to him as he listens to us. And so if there's anything we can be praying for you about during this season, we would love to do that. Um, I will be back there myself along with some others with lanyards. Uh, We would love to come alongside and pray with you. Another way you can respond is through giving. Um, God so graciously and generously gives to us that we can give a portion back to him. And so if you would like to give, you can do so online or there's some giving boxes on your way out of the door. And lastly, we respond through communion. And each week we get to come to the Lord's table being reminded that we all have sinned and that God's invitation is to um, surrender to him. And I read a quote that I loved this week um, that said, Jesus is not the person we just get to adore in the manger, but the person we surrender to at the cross. And so each week we remember that we surrender to our King Jesus Because he died in our places, and because he conquered death, we can submit to him in everything. And so we take communion, the elements, to remember and honor his life, death, and resurrection. And so if you came here today and you're not sure if Jesus is your king, that you're ready to surrender to him, um, instead of taking communion, we just invite you to pray and consider who is Jesus and should I, and am I ready to surrender to him? So now let's continue in our time of response.
0: As we respond this morning, uh, I, I ask that you stand as you're able and ready as you take communion and, and sing with us as we find our place within God's story. Uh, we're going to sing a variety of songs, and some of which are categorized as Christmas songs, and even as we do that, I, I would ask you to pay attention to the parts that talk about who Jesus is and, and why that matters to us today, and not just as a Christmas season, but um, the person and presence of Jesus in our lives. So stand with us as you're able, and um, as you are so led, come take communion.
1: Your glory is so beautiful I fall onto my knees in awe And the heartbeat of my life Is to worship in your life Your glory is so beautiful Your glory is so beautiful The stars are bright shining, it is the night of our dear birth. Long lay the world in sin and never pass till he appears and the soul You
3: may be seated. We have come to the conclusion of the service and we've walked through the liturgy, right? The call to worship, pastoral prayer, the scripture reading, the sermon, the the response. And this, at the end of the service, is what uh, church tradition refers to as the benediction. The benediction is a verbal blessing as we leave um, the corporate gathering of believers. Um, It is also an appeal for divine help to walk with us through life as we go. It's a guidance, right? And the benediction is usually done at the end of the service to invite us to say, you know, all these things, Lord, that we've done, it's almost like an amen to the service, if you will. Um, if you read the New Testament of the Holy Bible, a lot of the letters will end in kind of a benediction, a, a, a call to, to say, Lord, may this be. As we go out, may you guide us humbly. This is the benediction. So I will invite Gary Nebuchadnezzar up. My brain is just struggling. To do the benediction now to read as a benediction. Some, we all stand, some will put out their hands to receive that blessing. That's okay. You can bow your head and receive that blessing or extend your arms to receive that blessing. Gary, would you? Brothers
0: and sisters, this is our last formal gathering for the year 2021. So as you depart from here, receive this blessing. Whatever challenges you may face in 2022, may the Lord bless you with himself, with his presence, with his nearness, with his power and provision. And may your love and knowledge for him deepen in 2022.